wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. After all this time, it finally happened. At long last, I have finally won my own Royal Rumble game. It took me seven or eight years, but I finally won it on Sunday when I picked 17, as I always do, for the men's and women's Royal Rumble. Now, I was never going to change my number. I always pick 17. I have since the very first time I did the game back in 2013. It took me eight installments. Technically, I failed over 10 times if you include both the men's and women's Rumbles. And the fact that I picked 17 for both pools last year and this year. But I finally won when it came to the Women's Rumble. Um, obviously, I win nothing. I'm giving my prize away to the runner-up, Adam C. So congrats to him and Jeremy, at Jeremy8911 on the Twitter machine, for winning the Men's Rumble in my 2020 Royal Rumble game. He gets a Drew McIntyre shirt. Adam gets a Sheena Baszler shirt, because obviously I'm not buying myself a shirt, because I won my own game. I just wanted to be able to say I won my own fucking game, and now I'm officially retired. But you know who's not retired? The Rated-R Superstar Edge. Coming off that awesome Royal Rumble match, pay-per-view on Sunday. The whole event was entertaining. That specifically, specifically the men's Rumble match was a lot of fun. Edge came out of retirement after nine years. There's been a lot of rumors surrounding the Rated-R Superstar in recent months. And honestly, I had my suspicions, which I'll get to momentarily, regarding why I thought Edge may come back. But let's face it, it was never going to be a reality until we heard You Think You Know Me. And when that music hit on Sunday, we all lost our collective shit. It was a moment for the ages. I was there when the Hardy Boys came back at WrestleMania 33 three years ago um, in 2017 in Orlando. It's still to this day the greatest wrestling moment I've ever witnessed live. And there's been a lot of contenders. I was there for the first ever Bailey sasha Banks takeover match. Um, that instant classic at TakeOver Brooklyn five years ago. I was there when Rey Mysterio returned to WWE, a wrestle, or rather a Royal Rumble 2018. I was there when Becky Lynch and Kofi and, and Seth all won their respective championships at WrestleMania 35 last year. I was there for the greatest takeover of all time the night before that, or two days before that, TakeOver New York back in April of 2019. I was there when Chris Jericho returned to Raw in 2014. I've been fortunate enough to be in attendance for a lot of cool moments, double or nothing last year. Um, the first ever AEW pay-per-view, John Moxley's debut. I've been very fortunate to go to a lot of cool shows and be there for a lot of cool moments over the last 10-plus years. Nothing, I think, so far has topped that Hardy Boys return. But the, the reason I bring that up is because if I was there on Sunday for the Royal Rumble, that probably would have come close, if not eclipsed it altogether. Because that edge reaction, I mean... That edge return, the reaction to the edge return, I have watched back no less than probably 80 times. And I'm sure I'm no, you know, I'm not the only one. Um, a lot of people that I've talked to and have discussed the Royal Rumble with in recent days have all said the same thing. That edge return was on a completely different level because as I discussed in the hashtag AskGSM episode from Wednesday on the YouTube channel, 
the edge return was on a different level just because this isn't a case of some dude coming back who decided to leave 10 years ago or quit the company like a CM Punk. He walked out, never wanted to come back. I still think it's inevitable that CM Punk returns to the WWE. He's already on backstage, kind of slowly but surely working his way back into the wrestling bubble. Um, I think he will be back in WWE at some point. Maybe not necessarily wrestling, but I do think CM Punk will be in the WWE, whether it be Hall of Fame or just back in the WWE universe, so to speak, at some point down the road. It's not a case of someone getting released and coming back, someone like an MVP, which was awesome, don't get me wrong. Don't want to sleep on MVP here. It was really cool to see him back after a decade. Um, And he's made various appearances in recent years for Impact and New Japan and promotions like that. But he has, I mean, he was actually on the Raw 25 show about two years ago. Um, And as cool as that was, I mean, it was a one-off backstage return. Um, It was kind of throwaway. But it was really cool to see him back in the ring on Sunday in the Royal Rumble match. But, you know, he was let go. He left. CM Punk, it was his choice to take off and to not come back. Edge never had a choice. Edge's career came to an end not on his terms. He was going to leave on his terms the following year, according to Edge. His contract was set to expire in 2012. He was going to ride off into the sunset following WrestleMania 28. I think he wanted this whole feud with Christian. It probably would have transpired soon after WrestleMania, um, or soon after his, you know, uh, WrestleMania 27 match, that whole feud with Del Rio. I think it would have happened then, to be honest with you. But he said it was probably going to happen at WrestleMania 28. They would have had one last match for the World Heavyweight Championship. He would have put him over and then ridden off into the sunset um, as he retired. But he didn't have that luxury, unfortunately. Now, he did have his final you know, televised match at WrestleMania 27, which is pretty cool. But still, I mean, I don't think anyone would be able to say. I don't think anyone can say, like, oh, yeah, it ended on a great note. Like, that's cool. And, and I'm sure he does feel that way. But if he had the opportunity to end it on his own terms... He definitely would have done so. He didn't have that opportunity. He didn't have that chance. He didn't have that luxury. But after nine long years, he's finally back. Regardless of what the reason is, you can cite AEW, competition, doctors being more lenient, whether his neck is improved. We really honestly don't know the whole story. We've heard the rumors back dating back to October that he resigned, that he was on his way back, that he was adamant about getting back in the ring. But we never found out why now, though. After all this time, Shawn Michaels... Shawn Michaels, I think, was out of the ring longer, or rather shorter than Edge, because he retired at WrestleMania 26 and then got back in the ring in November of 2018. So almost nine years, but not exactly nine years. Edge is closing in on nine years, so it's very close. Edge retired in April of 2011. It's January of 2020. So I think Edge was out of the ring a little longer, but again, a lot like Michaels, a lot like Michaels, or I'm sorry, unlike Michaels, at least Shawn Michaels had the you know choice to end his career, and he had the choice to come back. Edge never had that choice. It seemed like he was content in retirement, but he's back now, better than ever. He looks like a fucking god uh, between the Vikings hairdo, the beard, uh, the everything, the, the, the fucking six-pack that he has now. The guy looks like he's in amazing shape, which is great to say. Um, He looks super emotional in that Royal Rumble return on Sunday. He looks super emotional in his Raw return on uh, on Monday. Um, Did I say Sunday before? I meant to say Sunday, but I didn't already when I was talking about the Royal Rumble. But nonetheless, um, it's so cool to see Edge back. And I'll get into more of that as I review the Royal Rumble match, you know, the Royal Rumble match itself and the pay-per-view on the whole. Um, But this is WrestleRant Radio as we are already five minutes into the uh, episode here. 
Uh, just going off on a tangent about the rated R superstar and how much it means to me to see him back in the squared circle after all this time, almost a decade, if you can believe it. But uh, yeah, this is Wrestle Rant Radio for Thursday, January 30th, 2020. I am Graham Jason Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. You can check out full episodes of the show every single Thursday, not only on nextairwrestling.net, but also on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio. Find the show, subscribe to the show, rate the show, review the show. All that stuff is greatly appreciated. And if you do subscribe, you'll get notified as soon as the show gets uploaded every single Thursday. Um, So very much appreciate the support of the show. We have a ton to talk about here today. Uh, We'll be flying solo as we had Mr. Marceau RJ on the show last week to break down and preview the Royal Rumble and Worlds Collide shows. Well, in a bit of a reverse, I'll be reviewing those shows on today's episode, as well as some quick thoughts on the NWA Hard Times pay-per-view from Friday, as well as Monday Night Raw from Monday, obviously. So no thoughts on NXT or Dynamite from this week. I'm actually recording this before those episodes aired, and I'm sure they were newsworthy. Dynamite's always entertaining, and NXT um, has a ton of newsworthy stuff going on between Dakota Kai versus Tegan Knox, Adam Cole's NXT Championship contender crowned, going to take over Portland in a couple weeks. Um, I know they have a ton. Oh, the Dusty Rhodes Tag Team Classic Finals are going down as well. So we'll probably get back to reviewing NXT and Dynamite next week, but there's a ton to talk about as it is right now between the stuff that happened this weekend. Real quickly, I was in attendance for the Northeast Wrestling Over the Top Show in Waterbury, Connecticut on Saturday. I had a great time. The weather was terrible. It was a fucking nightmare trying to get there. It was raining so bad. But we got there in one piece, myself, Alexis, and her brother. Um, her brother has been to an NEW show once before. Alexis has been there once before as well. Actually, two times. We went to two shows last year, and I went with her brother um, two years ago. But we had a great time on Saturday. It's one of those shows where you don't have to know everyone on the card in order to enjoy it. Obviously, the main event was like a you know an over-the-top rope battle royal, a Royal Rumble-style match. And it doesn't matter if you know no one in the match. As long as you like Battle Royals and who doesn't, you don't even have to be a wrestling fan to enjoy a good old Royal Rumble. And it was a great time. We saw that. We saw Marty Skrull versus Vincent, the former Vinny Marsalia from Ring of Honor. Um, really cool to see that match in person. We saw Flip Gordon versus Brian Pillman Jr. I don't know if it's a modern-day dream match, but they worked really well together. It was a very, a very fun match. Um, they had a ton of other people on the show as well. Bob Backlund was there, Animal of Legion of Doom. Darby Allen faced Dan Ma from Ring of Honor for the Northeast Wrestling Heavyweight Championship. Uh, Darby Allen had been champion since June. Uh, the day after, I think he won the championship the day after he had that awesome match with Moxley that it was in attendance for uh, with Alexis back in June. And he's been champion ever since. And I think he wants to start to focus more on AEW, if I'm not mistaken, like full time. So he dropped the championship to Dan Moff. They had a great match. Um, just a really, really fun show overall. We got to meet Darby Allen, really nice guy. We got to meet Marty Skrull, who Alexis and I met a bunch of times, Um, but he was really nice. We got to meet Gorillas of Destiny from the Bullet Club. They were great. Uh, Bob Backlund was really nice. Got to talk to some of the local indie guys that work for NEW. So if you're in the area, if you live in the Northeast area, I would strongly recommend checking out Northeast Wrestling. Also, shout out to Richie, who brought me to um, SmackDown last month, which was really cool. Um, In Brooklyn, Barclays Center, a complimentary ticket. Really nice for him to bring me along to the show, and uh, really cool to hook up on Saturday in Northeast Wrestling. But um, yeah, again, if you're in the Northeast area and they have a show coming near you, they have a ton of shows coming to Connecticut um, in the next couple of months. They have, uh, I believe, one in mid-February, another one in March, another one in April, and Bethany, Waterbury, all these other towns. They go to Poughkeepsie quite often, too, in New York. 
sometimes Massachusetts, uh, sometimes Massachusetts and some other states surrounding us. Uh, not exactly in the Northeast, but the done shows in Ohio and promotions like that. We've actually had the promoter of Northeast Wrestling here on the show before, um, WrestleRant Radio alum, Michael Lombardi runs the place. Brad Hollister, another WrestleRant Radio alum, we've had here on uh, the show back in August. He was at the show on Saturday. Not wrestling, he's still out injured, unfortunately, and hopefully he's back soon. But they have a lot of great talent there. So again, check out NEW if they ever come to a place or city near you. Um, on Friday, we get the NWA Hard Times pay-per-view. Now, this will not be a full-blown review of the show, just some quick thoughts on it and results. Um, overall, another very entertaining event from the NWA. I thought Tuesday's episode of Power was also great, which I'll get to at the end of this review. Um, but to kick off the pay-per-view, we had the quarterfinal match in the NWA Television Championship Tournament. Trevor Murdoch knocking off the question mark. Fine match. I, thought was, I was a little surprised the question mark didn't go further in the tourney than he did. Uh, Trevor Murdoch, they were doing this story with him. You know, the uh, old vet. Not the old, old vet. The guy's like 39 or something. But, you know, he's been around a long time. And they were telling the story with him that the crowd wanted to see him become the champion and kind of rise up and, and redeem himself or whatever. Um, and I thought they had a decent match, and they told a good story here with those two. They had Dan Moff, speaking of so, uh, speaking of Dan Moff, he knocked off Zicky Dice in a quarterfinal match as well in the NWA Television Championship Tournament. Uh, Zicky Dice is one of those guys that is quickly growing on me. Um, he was on episode, uh, he was on Tuesday's episode of Power, and uh, he, he's a good wrestler, but even better character. He's just that much better as a character. And uh, so far, he's impressed me both on the mic, in the ring. He's one to watch out for as well. Good match here. Dan Moff is just an absolute beast. I had no idea who Dan Moff was before a month or two ago. But Ring of Honor brought him in late last year. I believe he was a Ring of Honor. Uh, he was a Ring of Honor original. I don't know where he's been in recent years, but he recently came out of retirement or just was brought back to prominence because now he's making appearances in Northeast Wrestling, Ring of Honor, the NWA. The guy's all over the place. Good match here. He advanced. In another quarterfinal match in the TV title tournament, we had Ricky Starks knocking off Matt Cross. Very fun match. Uh, their two styles meshed very well. I thought that was a perfect uh, combo to put in one match in the opening round of the TV title tournament. So good stuff there. Ricky Starks advanced. Then for the fourth match, it was supposed to be Ken Anderson versus Tim Storm. Anderson did not show up. We were told that he was hurt. He was not medically cleared to compete. I don't know why. Not sure when he would have suffered the injury or if it was part of the storyline. He was not on Tuesday's power, so not exactly sure what went wrong there. Um, and Anderson had some momentum recently. You know, he won that battle royal on power uh, about a week ago to qualify for the tournament. He turned on Cole Cabana, and then he just wasn't at the pay-per-view. So I thought that was unfortunate. So Tim Storm won by forfeit to advance in the TV title tourney. We then had the NWA World Tag Team titles on the line, a triple threat match between Eli Drake and James Storm, the Rock and Roll Express, and the Wild Cards. Um, very fun match. Drake and Storm kind of came out of nowhere as a tag team. I know they've had history with Nick Aldis, and that's kind of how they came together out of their hatred for the Wild Cards and um, Nick Aldis and Strictly Business, the faction they're all a part of. But I think so far they've gelled very well. They have great chemistry together. Um, their promo on Tuesday's Power was awesome. Uh, they're just very, very funny together. So I thought this was a fun match. The Rock and Roll Express had their time. I know they won the championships only soon before, you know, shortly before the end of the Fire pay-per-view a month ago. But, I mean, the guys were 60. You know, they're, they're very old. They're up there. And they can still go for their age. But their reign never should have been that long to begin with. So... Um, I thought the title change was necessary. I'm glad they put the belts on Drake and Storm. The wild cards are good. They don't really do much for me personally. 
Uh, but Drake and Storm have a lot more potential to do a lot more with those tag titles than the wild cards, in my opinion, who, were, who weren't really doing a lot with those titles to begin with when they were holding them before the uh, Rock and Roll Express knocked them off for those championships a couple months ago. Uh, very fun match here with the right result, I thought. Um, speaking of new champions crown, we saw Thunder Rosa knock off Allison Cato in the NWA World Women's Championship. Uh, the best match in the entire show. And not only the best match in the entire show, one of the best matches I've seen in the NWA period so far. Um, I thought these two killed it. They were given a ton of time for their match. Told a good story. The crowd was behind Thunder Rosa. She battled back, won the championship. Now, she is supposed to be the heel, but the crowd treats her like a total babyface. She's that popular because she's that good. Allison Kay also played a role here very well. Just an overall great piece of business. I thought this was an awesome women's match. Um, you know, they don't have a lot of women. They don't have a lot of, not diversity, but like, you know, they don't have a lot of women. They don't have a lot of depth in their women's division. Um, but the matches they do have with these women are great. And I think the common denominator there is Thunder Rosa. She was able to get a good match out of fucking OVD. Not OVD. Oh, what is her name? ODB. ODB, she had a good match with. And it's not an ODB thing, because ODB was a part of that triple threat knockout style match um, a couple weeks ago at Hard to Kill, and that was no good. So I think Thunder Rosa is absolutely the the magic maker here with whoever she works with, the matches are great, and this was no exception. Allison K is very good too, but I think Thunder Rosa has a lot to do with it. She's just on fire right now. So I was very happy with the result. They're clearly building to some sort of a split between Thunder Rosa and Melina, both afterward and on Tuesday's episode of Power. I think Melina was discussing the fact that Thunder Rosa won because of her. If it wasn't because of Melina, then Thunder Rosa wouldn't become champion. She wouldn't be champion right now, and then Thunder Rosa took the mic and took a not-so-subtle shot at Melina by saying that no one could hold a candle to what she could do in that ring, probably including Melina. Melina had this weird look on her face, was like, oh, what is this bitch saying, you know? Like, I, I brought her to the dance, and she should have more respect for me. She should be thanking me, and she's not. So they're clearly building to a split there. Um, they're going to be doing Thunder Rose and Allison K the rematch for the NWA World Women's Championship next Tuesday on Power. So that's something to look forward to. Because uh, this match was great. I think the rematch should be equally entertaining, if given the time it deserves. So Marty Skrull shows up. We haven't seen an NWA programming in a little while. I mean, he showed up at End of the Fire. That's where he debuted in the NWA. Um, I mean, he was in the NWA like a year ago, but I'm saying since the start of Power a few months ago. He showed up at End of the Fire. He showed up on a few episodes after the pay-per-view for like an interview or two, and that was about it. Um, I know all this ran into Ring of Honor. They had a few interactions there, but aside from that, we have not seen Skrull on Power NWA-related programming since probably late last year. So he finally resurfaced here. Um, he and Aldis went back and forth. It was clear Skrull was challenging Aldis for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. Aldis said, listen, I will gladly put my belt on the line against Flip Gordon here tonight. And Flip Gordon, obviously, is the uh, buddy of Marty Skrull from Villain Enterprises and Ring of Honor. Because their match originally was not meant to be a championship match. And why would it be? Because Flip Gordon did nothing to earn that championship shot. Um, so all this had said, listen, I'll make this match tonight a championship match. But if I do and I retain my title, that means that when I win and I beat Flip Gordon here tonight, you want your shot at my championship? It's going to be on my terms. Not your terms, my terms. So Skrull agreed. They had the match later on. All this won. Very good match. And I'll get to the all this Skrull thing. Actually, I might as well just mention it now because I'm not sure where else I would mention it. Uh, so on Power this week, at the end of the episode, and this week's episode, that was great. I mean, the episodes are usually entertaining anyway, 
but I thought the closing segment specifically was one of the best they've ever done. So we see Skrull sitting down in the chair where they usually conduct the interviews, not in front of the audience, it was in front of an empty arena like after the show or whatever. Um, it was a private meeting place, we were told, even though it's like the same place they always record these interviews, like before or after the show is over. Um, so all this eventually shows up and they go back and forth. And Skrull talks a lot about how he feels like a failure, how people come up to him all the time saying that, hey, dude, you should have been world champion by now. You should have won the world championship at Madison Square Garden. You should have won the NWA World Heavyweight Championship at the Crockett Cup. And all this couldn't help but bring up this big money deal that Marty Skrull's had right now in Ring of Honor and how he didn't mention that he's the booker or anything, but he mentioned that, you know, he's the head honcho now in Ring of Honor. He's making a lot of money over there. He was always there for Skrull whenever he got hot. And now Skrull is looking for a fight with him, even though he already gave him a shot at his championship a year ago. Why are you coming into my company to steal my thunder? This is my prized possession. I care about nothing more in my life than this NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Why would you come into my turf, come onto my turf and challenge me for what is most important to me? What defines me as a professional wrestler? How dare you? And then he was saying like, oh, dude, like, listen, Marty, there, there's a lot of people that will be nice to you to your face and then just turn your back on you and talk shit about you behind your back and all this other stuff. And basically, he was describing himself because that's exactly what he did here. He was like, listen, Marty, I know you're not that guy. You're a nice guy. I've always been there for you. You've always been there for me. Why don't we just settle like, why don't we settle this like men and just not have the match? And Skrull said, listen, I need another shot of that championship. I'm desperate. I need to prove I'm not a failure. And Skrull said, fine, or rather Aldis said, fine, we will do the match on the one-year anniversary, how fitting, of our last encounter at Crockett Cup 2019. We'll do it at the Crockett Cup 2020, probably in April, I think they had said. That's when their next pay-per-view is. No specific date, no venue specified yet. I think it's TBD, according to Aldis in this interview. And then he had said, listen, dude, I will only put my championship on the line against you again if there's something in it for me. Because why would I face you again for my championship when I know I can beat you and I've already beaten you before? So why even bother? So he said that if Skrull wants the match so bad, he will agree to the stipulation that if Skrull loses, he must refund every person's ticket in the arena that day for the Crockett Cup. That's a hell of a stipulation because you can't fake that. You can't say, oh, Skrull will give everyone their money back and then just say it. Like, everyone there will know, like, hey, we want our money back when he loses. <laughs> I'm sure everyone in that arena is going to be rooting for Nick Aldis to retain the title just so they can get their money back, even though Aldis is clearly the heel. I just thought of that right now. Like, that won't make much sense. Um, usually, it should be the heel. I mean, I guess Marty's an outsider, but people love Marty. So the whole dynamic is weird now that I think about it. The bottom line is this. This exchange right here at the end of power on Tuesday night was so fucking great. They need to do more of this type of stuff, not just in NWA, but like in every other promotion. This was maybe around 15 minutes or so, but you would never know it. I was hooked the entire time. Every word that came out of their mouth was compelling and hooked me. So absolutely check it out. I'm already, I was already excited for the match to begin with when it was teased a month ago, but I find myself just waiting on the edge of my seat for all this versus Squirrel 2 for the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. This was... Uh, to say it was effective in getting me hyped for the match would be an understatement. Absolutely check this out, and I do not see enough people talking about it for how good this was. On the rest of the Hard Times pay-per-view, um, they had Trevor Murdoch knocking off Dan Moff in semifinal action in the TV title tournament. Ricky Starks beating Tim Storm. Two good matches. 
Scott Steiner then beat the NWA national champion Aaron Stevens, the former Damian Sandow by DQ. The match sucked. Um, easily the worst thing on the entire show, and I think it was a championship match, if I'm not mistaken. That was whatever. And I like Steiner, but that whole thing was just a complete waste. Um, as I mentioned earlier, the Aldis Gordon match was good. Aldis won, retained the championship. And then the main event saw Ricky Starks knock off Trevor Murdoch to become the first NWA television champion. Now, I know they've had the championship before. They've had the NWA, I think this is the NWA World Television Championship. I'm not sure if that's what they called it. They've had the NWA National Television Champion before. They've had a lot of different TV titles. Um, but this is the first one of its kind in some time. Good match, though. Uh, Ricky Starks winning was the right call. He's the guy to strap the rocket on right now. He got a great promo on Tuesday's Power discussing his championship victory before beating Ricky, uh, not Ricky Stark. He is Ricky Starks, before beating uh, Zicky Dice in one-on-one -on -one action. So, again, a good show. If you're not already watching the NWA product, you absolutely should be. No better place to start than right here with Hard Times. Looking forward to the next pay-per-view in April with the Crockett Cup 2020. So with Worlds Collide on Saturday, again, not much of an in-depth review just because uh, it was a pretty standard show overall and that it was fucking great. Um, nothing too surprising there. I will say this, though. We did find out officially. Now, I think I recorded last week's show also on Wednesday, so I didn't have any time to talk about this. Uh, I'm not sure if RJ and I discussed this on the show. The news might have broke on Thursday. But anyway, the NXT UK Women's Championship is now the NXT Championship, and the NXT Women's Championship is now the NXT Championship. Now, if that sounds familiar, that's because it's the name of the Men's Championship, too. Um, as many other people have said, I think they're trying to create a solution for a problem that doesn't exist. I absolutely agree with that. Um, I, I, I can agree with people like Becky when she says that they should be giving the women more time and more matches on these pay-per-views, which... I agree with, there should be no limit on how many women's matches they have on these pay-per-views, as long as they make sense. For example, they had three matches at the Royal Rumble pay-per-view with the women, between Bailey and Lacey, Becky and Asuka, and then the Women's Rumble, because all three matches made sense. So, of course, you were going to do three women's matches. But to get rid of the women's label in the championships is just silly. Was anyone really upset over the fact that they had a women's name in the women's championships? Probably not. Um, as of right now, that change has not been expanded, has been, you know, Raw and SmackDown have not yet been affected by the change. Maybe at some point they will be, but it's already affected NXT UK and NXT proper, um, as seen at Worlds Collide, which I think, again, is silly. It's not that it's a confusing thing. Obviously, we all know that Rhea Ripley is the women's champion. She's not holding the belt that Adam Cole currently occupies. But in terms of, like... Not just lineage, but like when you talk about the NXT Championship, but the following matches for the NXT Championship, without knowing who's involved, how am I supposed to know what championship they're talking about? The whole thing is just weird. Um, it's not necessary. I don't know if it's one of those things that'll go away. Go, that will go away at some point, just because this wasn't a Vince McMahon edict. It was seemingly a Triple H edict because it started in NXT and NXT UK as opposed to the main roster. If Vince wants something done to the main roster, he will do it like that, like immediately. Um, but as far as I know, the Raw and SmackDown Women's Championships are still the Raw and SmackDown Women's Championships, and they have yet to take out the two women's parts. What are they going to call it, the SmackDown Championship? Get the fuck out of here. Uh, I don't really think it's any, any, any real issue to have the Women's Championship, have the women's name in the women's title, because that's who it's for. Men aren't holding that championship. I mean, now, if you want to call the NXT Men's Championship the NXT Men's Championship or the NXT World Championship or whatever, that's fine. But as far as I know, it's still the NXT Championship, so none of this makes any sense. 
On the pre-show, we had Kaylee Ray, the NXT UK Women's Champion. I know it's the NXT Championship or the NXT UK title, like I said earlier, but I'm never going to get out of my system, so I'm just going to continue to call the NXT UK Women's Championship. She beat Mia Yim. Very good match. Um, I completely forgot that they had a history from when Kaylee Ray knocked off Mia Yim in that ladder match. She didn't beat her, but she cost her that ladder match before War Games a few months ago, so I thought that was a nice attention to detail. I had no idea about that when they announced the match um, shortly before the show, so I thought that was a nice attention to detail. Made the match that much more meaningful. Kaylee Ray went over as she should have. The opener of the show, Finn Balor versus Ilya Dragunov. Uh, great match. The crowd didn't really seem to know who Ilya Dragunov was, but it's not like an NXT versus NXT UK thing where they booed all the NXT UK guys and girls and they had no idea who they were. They've just never seen, apparently, Ilya Dragunov before, even though he's been on, you know, he's been on the last two takeovers. He faced Cesaro at the Blackpool one, or rather at the Cardiff one. He got involved in the main event of the uh, Blackpool 2 show a couple weeks ago. He hasn't been on NXT TV yet. That's probably why a lot of these NXT UK people have. Kaylee Ray has, Imperium has, um, even Tony Storm. So maybe that's why. But this was still a great match. Definitely a... Not a coming out party for Ilya Dragunov, but definitely one of those breakout performances that made people realize, wow, this guy is good. I should be paying more attention to him. Finn Balor is always great. I thought he was the perfect opponent for Ilya on the show. Really helped elevate him. Um, Ilya scored a ton of offense over the former NXT and Universal Champion. So I thought he gained a lot even in defeat. Uh, we then saw the NXT Cruiserweight Championship change hands in a fatal four-way match between Jordan Devlin, the then-champion, Angel Garza, Isaiah Swerve Scott, and Travis Banks. Very fun stuff here. This is what we need more of from the Cruiserweights. I mean, we get it in NXT. The issue is that we don't get it on not really the main roster because they haven't been a part of the main roster pay-per-views in a while. Um, actually, they were. They were at Survivor Series, and they had a good match, but it's not what we're used to seeing in NXT and on shows like this. Um, on 205 Live, it's just a completely different story. They have such basic matches that are good, but never anywhere near great. This was a tremendous match between four of the best of their kind right now. And I say kind is like, oh, they're relegated to cruiserweight status. They're really not, though. Um, I would, I, I hate to say they're the four best cruiserweights that WWE has right now. But, yeah, weight-wise, they're cruiserweights, but they're really much more than that. Devlin can go a lot further than the cruiserweight championship if they booked him the right way. Angel Garza just is a fucking star. And, again, he has a much higher ceiling than the cruiserweight championship. Same thing with Isaiah Swerve Scott and even Travis Banks, who's probably the odd man out here because he hasn't had much seasoning um, so far in NXT and NXT UK. He's had a lot of big matches but lost almost all of them. Um, and I thought he had a good showing here, too. This was a very fun four-way. All four guys worked wonderfully together. And the outcome really took me by surprise. RJ and I discussed a week ago here in the show that we figured NXT would take the decisive victory over NXT UK from 4-2, uh, you know, to two, not 3-3. Three to three. But they tied here on the show with Devlin picking up the NXT Cruiserweight Championship. Was not expecting that. Very cool outcome. Great for Devlin, who has you know, had a lot of big matches so far in NXT UK. Hasn't won many of them. He lost to Finn Balor a year ago at the inaugural TakeOver Blackpool show. He lost to um, Tyler Bate just recently at TakeOver Blackpool 2. He wasn't even at the last TakeOver show, I don't think, in Cardiff, the one in August. Um, he failed to become the WWE United Kingdom champion against Walter. or become Yeah, he failed to win the championship against Walter about a year ago over WrestleMania weekend. So, uh, yeah, Devlin's had a lot of big matches, hasn't won many of them, but I'm glad he did here. 
DIY then colliding with Mustache Mountain in a dream match of sorts. Probably the closest thing we will get to a dream match tag team-wise in NXT. Uh, involving Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, Trent Seven, Tyler Bate. All four of these guys working absolutely amazingly well together. This was so fucking good. Tag team wrestling at its finest. Um, I was so happy that this match even happened. It was a match I never knew I wanted until it happened, and we finally got it here. Um, all four of these guys are just great, but Gargano and Bate specifically are two guys that I feel are the equivalent to each other for their respective shows. Bate and Gargano never cease to put forth an amazing effort, uh, regardless of who they're up against. Gargano's had match of the year contenders with The Revival, Adam Cole, Tommaso Ciampa, uh, you name it, Andrade Cien Almas last year or two years ago, rather. And then, you know, go. you look at Tyler Bate, look at the matches that he's had with Pete Dunne, Walter, recently Jordan Devlin, the tag team matches with Grizzled Young Vets, Undisputed Era. Again, the list goes on and on and on. These guys are very similar. And this match was awesome. I thoroughly enjoyed this. Of course, DIY went over. DIY went over as they should have. They're just the two bigger stars. And Gargano was set to face Balor at the TakeOver Portland show. Champa's very likely facing Adam Cole for the NXT Championship at that same show. You guys have a better idea of that than I do right now just because this is airing after NXT is already aired and I haven't watched it as of this recording. But I would assume that's the match for TakeOver in a couple weeks. Um, but amazing stuff here. Love the show of respect afterward from DIY to Mustache Mountain. Hey, I'd be down for a rematch down the road. I'll say that much. This was so good I would not be opposed to a part though. We then saw the NXT Women's Champion Rhea Ripley defend against Tony Storm. This was easily the weakest match on the entire show, which is a shame because, you know, they've had very good matches in the past. Their TakeOver Blackpool match a year ago was great. The rematch in NXT UK TV was great. Uh, they have very good chemistry, but this really wasn't given much time. It felt like it ended before they could reach that next gear. It was only a roughly 10-minute match. It was just kind of there. It was a, it was a solid good match. But considering who was involved, it was definitely disappointing. Uh, Rhea Ripley going over as she should have to retain the NXT Women's Championship. And then we get to the main event, Imperium versus Undisputed Era, in a match, again, that we never thought we would see until it happened. Uh, this was absolutely spectacular. Now, got to give props to Alexander Wolf, who got uh, knocked for a loop, literally. Uh, not the loop, literally, part, but he got knocked pretty hard with, uh, I think, Kyler Riley's boot right to the chin. He tucked when he shouldn't have. I think it was his fault. He admitted as such on Twitter. But because of the injury, he could barely move. He had to be taken out of the match. and never returned, which sucked. Um, but the match was still amazing as it was. Like, imagine how much better this was if it would have been any better at all if Wolf was involved. Imperium still overcame the odds in a three-on-four situation and won the whole match anyway, even without Alexander Wolf. This is another match I would love to see inside war games at some point or just straight up because this was a fucking war for lack of a better term. This was so much fun. Um, and Imperium, in the end, overcoming the odds, like I mentioned, and winning the whole match. They beat Undisputed Era, the seemingly unstoppable faction, um, who aren't nearly as unstoppable as they once were, considering that Roderick Strong is no longer the NXT North American champion um, after dropping the belt to Keith Lee a week ago. This was a great way to close out the show. The whole show is must-see. Um, if you're not making time for... Worlds Collide, what the fuck is wrong with you? Because this was a really, really good show. A tight two and a half hours, no filler. They also had some segments with Dakota Kai getting attacked by Tiganox in the crowd. They had Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne, collectively known as the Broserweights, um, have a war of words, uh, do a verbal exchange with the grizzled young vets heading into their Dusty Roads Tag Team Classic Final on Wednesday. 
The whole show was awesome. Uh, everything served the purpose. The only match I thought kind of underwhelmed was Tony Storm versus Rhea Ripley. But everything else ranged from very good to great. And this was uh, definitely on par with any takeover you'll ever see. So definitely make time for it when you get a chance. The Royal Rumble on Sunday, as we enter the second half of the show here now, uh, was another very good show. It was a great weekend for wrestling overall. Between the Hard Times pay-per-view on Friday, the World's Collide show on Saturday, and now this on Sunday, uh, this was a really, really good show. Maybe not my best, or rather my favorite Royal Rumble pay-per-view ever. I mean, I was at the uh, 2018 installment, and that one's going to be pretty hard to top. But overall, I mean, there really wasn't many bad matches on the show. Bailey and Lacey Evans, that was weak. The finish sucked. And uh, the feud's been fine up to this point. I didn't hate the feud. Like, I've hated the Rowan Reigns-King Corbin feud. But their match, that was entertaining. They benefited from having that Falls Count Anywhere stipulation. Um, I thought that was a good match to kick off the show. The kickoff matches really weren't anything must-see. Um, Sheamus beat Shorty G, a.k.a. Chad Gable, in a pretty solid match. They didn't pick up until the final few minutes. The same can be said for Humberto Carrillo versus Andrade. They had a very enjoyable match, too. Not their best effort, but it was still solid. Um, Andrade still the United States champion. Now, they did do a rematch for whatever reason the next night. I know why now, but from a storyline standpoint, considering Andrade beat Carrillo clean, there was no reason to do a rematch. Absolutely none. So Andrade wins on Sunday. They do a rematch on Raw. And I'll get to my Raw thoughts in a little while. And so Andrade loses that match by DQ after interference from Zelina Vega. So Andrade wins, but or Carrillo wins, but Andrade is still the United States champion. Afterward, Carrillo lays out Andrade in the same way that Andrade laid him out a month or two ago um, that put him on the shelf for about a month. So he exposes the you know steel floor or whatever it was by removing the, the pads from ringside. And he does his uh, the same DDT that Andrade did to Carrillo. Carrillo did that same DDT to him right on the floor, incapacitates him, and that was it. I'm thinking, okay, he'll be back in a week. They won't even sell this thing. But they did that apparently because Andrade, well, not even apparently because you know, th- this is why. Um, it's already been made official by WWE themselves. Andrade has been suspended by WWE for violating the WWE wellness policy. And um, for his first defense, it's 30 days. He'll be back in about a month, which I think, I know they announced it on Tuesday, but I think he might be eligible to come back for that Saudi Arabia show. Now, for his sake, I would hope not. I would have gotten myself suspended on, like, Wednesday or Thursday today just to ensure I'm not at that show. Because if you do the math, 28 days plus two would equal... They announced it on Tuesday. I think he's eligible to come back on Thursday, unless he was suspended on Monday, which, you know, the the word got around on Monday, so maybe he was suspended on Monday. I don't know. But he worked Monday, so I don't know. He was on Raw. He could be good to come back for that Super Showdown show in Saudi Arabia on February 27th. For his sake, again, I hope not, but there's a very real chance that could happen. Uh, would they be able to? Like, can they fly him out even though he's not supposed to be there technically until Thursday? I don't know. Probably they won't do it because why would they fly him out there for no reason if he can't build up a match with Korea or whatever? I don't think that makes much sense. They would probably, if anything, have him on the Elimination Chamber show um, in early March and have that be it. Regardless, though, I was a little surprised by that. I don't know what he tested for, whether it was roids or like... You know, people have been suspended for silly reasons before. Some people even claim, and again, I take it for what it's worth. Um, I, I tend to believe the people, but people have claimed that they didn't get their, you know, samples back, their pee samples back in time, which is why WWE would suspend them automatically. Uh, that's what Primo said had happened with him, where he had said that 
Um, he couldn't get to the test in time or something like that because he was in Puerto Rico. He couldn't take the test. So they just suspended him, even though it doesn't matter because he hasn't been on TV in a year anyway, if not longer. So it hardly matters. Um, but yeah, it seems like we're getting more of these now between Primo, Bobby Roode, Robert Roode, whatever, and now Andrade. And before that, they had not done a well wellness violation. There had not been a violation of the wellness policy since the summer of 2016. I mean, come on. Like, do you really want me to believe that there has not been a single person who has violated the, uh, violated the wellness policy in over three years? Give me a fucking break. And now there's three people violating it. Even maybe in Primo's case, may not uh, apply because he said he couldn't take the test or whatever. At least two people, because Andrade hasn't, like, come out and said, oh, it was for this, or I missed the time, or whatever. Usually they would say something like that, like Eva Marie did that. Um, the same thing happened with Paige one time, so... I, I get it. It's it seems a little strange, um, but yeah, the whole thing is just it's it's a very weird situation, um, and he's going to be gone for the next thirty days. So they did not take the championship off of him on Monday. Um, he just retained the championship, lost the match by DQ, but he did not lose the title. Which I get. I guess Paul Heyman is very high on Andrade. I don't think it has much to do with the fact that he's. Uh, Charlotte Flair's fiance. I think it has more to do with the fact that they just have plans for Andrade as United States champion. 30 days isn't a lot. Um, Lesnar has gone far longer than that from appearing on TV. Still the champion anyway. You know what I'm saying? Um, I don't think it's really that big of a deal. I know they want to punish people, but again, they did the exact same thing with Evan Bourne eight, nine years ago. He got busted apparently for synthetic marijuana and he was one half of the WWE Tag Team Champions at the time, and they just kept the belts on him. They had Kofi wrestle on fucking superstars for a month, and that was it. So, um, yeah, with, with with Andrade, I can't say I'm surprised, and nor am I really bothered by it. I know people are saying, oh, he should be punished, take the championship off, take, take the championship off of him, blah, blah, blah. I just don't really see that as being overly necessary. Um, but anyway, so also in the Royal Rumble show itself, the two Rumble matches I thought were great. Um, a lot of surprise entrants, a lot of which were from NXT, but I feel like that's also an issue because it speaks volumes to how WWE does not have enough women on Raw and SmackDown to fill out a 30 women rumble. Now they're not going to, you know, they're not going to shave it down to 20 women. Why would they? Because that would just be stupid because if they're doing 30 for the men, they can't do 20 for the women. That's, you know, pretty, uh, that's not fair. But you also have to have enough women to fill out these spots. Now, they have a lot of women that weren't in the match. Naomi came back, which was cool. Um, I think she was the only real return. We had a lot of people from NXT. Zia Lee, Candice LeRae, Shayna Baszler, Dakota Kai, Tegan Knox, Bianca Belair. There was a lot of women in there from NXT. Uh, Mercedes Martinez, Shotzi Black. Like a third of the match was from NXT. We had Mighty Molly in there. They had Kelly Kelly come back. Um, a lot of different familiar faces, Santina Morella, which I had no issue with, to be honest with you. I thought it was funny as hell. And I went on a whole rant about this on hashtag AskGSM. You can disagree with me. That's fine. I just thought it was funny as fuck. Now, I didn't think the original angle of Santina Morella was, uh, was well done, or I wasn't a fan of it then. I thought it was dumb as fuck then. I thought it was super stupid to have a man win the Women's Battle Royal at WrestleMania. But for them to acknowledge their mistakes, bring them out for one last little thing here, um, get eliminated relatively quickly, bust out the Cobra for a quick pop. I see no harm in it. Anyone arguing that, oh, they should have had this woman in there over this woman, whatever. They had all the women they could. Even with Liv Morgan and Lana, they couldn't fill out half of the spots with the current women from Raw and SmackDown. Sasha Banks is hurt. Surprise, surprise. She couldn't compete either. 
Um, I don't know why the Iconics weren't in there. I have no idea what their deal is. They have not been on TV in months. I would think they would have been in this Rumble, but I guess not. So they just relied on a former talent and NXT talent to fill out the spots instead. Hey, I can't say I'm complaining. I thought it was cool to see all these familiar faces and new faces, fresh faces from NXT. But they should absolutely, you know, be filling out these spots with women on their main roster. And they have the talent. I just don't know what the issue is. They filled it out with Tamina. They brought back Tamina and all these other people. Liv Morgan, Lana, we're all in the Rumble. Uh, I don't know. I just thought it was just very bizarre. In the end, though, it was Charlotte Flair emerging victorious to win the third ever 30 Women Royal Rumble match. She did not determine afterward via the post-match promo. She did not reveal, rather, what uh, championship she would be vying for on the grandest stage in the mall. You know, in the moment, I was a little mad. Like I said earlier, I won my Royal Rumble game with Charlotte Flair as my pick. I thought Shayna Baszler would win, so when it came down to the two of them, I was as happy as a pig in shit. I mean, it was either the person I wanted to win the match or it was the person I had as my number to win the match, Charlotte Flair. I had number 17, she was 17, I win the Rumble game. So, which was pretty cool. Uh, finally, after all this time, I finally win my own fucking Rumble game. With um, Baszler, though, I know a lot of people wanted her to win. I was disappointed when she didn't win. Uh, I-, I get it. With Baszler, I can see why they would not give her the win. It was smart to have it come down to Baszler and Flair because a lot of people figured that Baszler was winning. So, as opposed to Charlotte in like... I don't know um, if it was Sasha or I don't even know who else was in the match at the end, Beth Phoenix or Natalia. If it was down to fucking Charlotte and Natalia, now that's a different story. That's a problem because people would have pooped all over it because no one wants either of them to win, you know? Um, but because a lot of people thought Sheena would win, they, you know, were hanging on till the very last second. They booted the finish because they wanted Sheena to win. I get it. And uh, I was pissed too. But in retrospect... I honestly don't even really mind it, and here's why. Charlotte, you know, is going to be involved in a marquee match at WrestleMania. There's no denying that. We all knew she would be involved in a high-profile match at WrestleMania. She always will, She always has. She always will be. She was at 32, 33, 34, 35, and even if it's not like the top Billy match, like at WrestleMania 33 when it was a four-way for the SmackDown, or rather the Raw Women's Championship, uh, she still lasted a while, by the way. Or was it last year? No, last year she was in the main event. I think that was the only year she wasn't involved in like a major match at WrestleMania because 32, she had that triple threat with Sasha and Becky to determine the first ever Raw Women's Champion and 34, she faced Asuka. So she's had a pretty you know important match every single year she's been on the main roster, more than probably any other woman ever. Um, Charlotte, or rather, yeah, Charlotte Flair has had pretty important matches at WrestleMania more than anyone else, including Trish or Lita or whatever. And all matches have been good. I'm not pooping on Flair here. But I agree with the masses that she didn't need the Rumble victory. It wasn't a matter of whether she needed it or wanted it or whatever. It wasn't a matter of whether she needed it or not. It was more a matter of we need something for her to do at WrestleMania. We want her to challenge for a championship. We don't want her to face Becky. We don't want her to have her face Bailey again. So what do we do? Again, I'm recording this before NXT. So if there were any spoilers on that show, um, you guys know better than I do. But I think she's facing Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania for the NXT Women's Championship. I really do. And uh, I'm not opposed to it either. Now, if Charlotte wins, that's an issue. They have Rhea Ripley become unstoppable for like a year. She knocks off Tony Storm. She knocks off Shayna Baszler. She knocks off Bianca Belair and all these other women. And then she loses to Charlotte fucking Flair at WrestleMania. 
Charlotte did not win last year. She had her big moment at 32. She had her big moment at 34. I don't think she needs to win this year if she faces Rhea Ripley. What, are we going to see Charlotte back in the NXT women's division? I doubt it. They don't need her. They have enough star power as it is. Keep that shit on Raw and SmackDown. We don't need it in NXT. But Rhea Ripley representing NXT at WrestleMania and beating one of the biggest, you know, one of the top women in the entire promotion is a big fucking deal. So that is why I can absolutely see them doing Charlotte versus Rhea Ripley at WrestleMania. And I'm not opposed to it either. It's a, it's a fresh feud. They had Rhea Ripley pin Charlotte on that SmackDown before Survivor Series a few months ago. So they have history. Um, I don't want to see Charlotte challenge for the tag titles. We've already seen that a bunch of times in recent months with her and Becky and her and Natalia. No thanks. They already screwed the pooch on that one. The only other option, unless she drops the championship title shot in the next month, is to have her change or rather have her challenge Rhea Ripley. The thing is, if she didn't win the Rumble, Ripley and Charlotte would make no sense. Baszler and Becky, they can still do. Baszler, as much as she would have benefited from winning the Women's Rumble, she doesn't need it to face Becky at WrestleMania. That match writes itself. She doesn't need to win the Rumble to, you know, kick off that feud, play off how she beat her in that triple threat back at Survivor Series and how, you know, Becky ended her friend's career, seemingly, at WrestleMania 35 when she beat Ronda Rousey. The story writes itself, so she doesn't need the Rumble victory to get to that point. Um, So Charlotte, honestly, as as disappointed as I was in the moment that she won, in retrospect, I'm not mad at all. I know we're we're probably getting Sasha versus Bayley at WrestleMania. Sasha, she couldn't have won this thing even if she wanted to, even if WWE wanted to because she's hurt right now. But Sasha and Bayley make sense. Becky and Shayna make sense. And Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte Flair is something new. And again, it makes sense. And it also establishes that championship as being important. Now, I don't know if that mean, what that means for TakeOver that weekend, which I believe there is going to be one over WrestleMania weekend. I'm not sure if that means Rhea Ripley defends twice or what. Because <clears throat> the match that I wanted to see at that TakeOver the night before WrestleMania was um, Rhea Ripley versus Io Shirai. Now, with Io Shirai, will she even be able to, will she be cleared to compete by then? Because reportedly she got injured in that match last week uh, when she faced Tony Storm, and she might be out for two months, which would be a, a just terrible timing. So I hope that's not the case. Um, but yeah, so Charlotte winning the Rumble does, you know, honestly, in retrospect, I don't hate it as much as I did. I'm not praising it. I'm not saying I'm glad that she won. I'm just saying, making the most of the situation at hand here, it might still make sense. And, and Baszler is not buried by any means. I already talked about Bailey and Lacey. Now that match sucked. Um, I thought the Fiend and Bray the, the Fiend Bray Wyatt versus Daniel Bryan was actually much better than I thought it would be. Gonna be honest with you. I know they had a great match six years ago to the day from this pay-per-view at Royal Rumble 2014, but that was a normal singles match. And that was back when Bray Wyatt was Bray Wyatt and there was no straps involved and a Fiend mask and everything else. Because those first few Fiend matches were pretty bad. Um, because of the booking and the layout and everything else. Those Rollins matches sucked. The Balor match was fine because it was a squash. It was exactly what it needed to be. The Rollins matches, <coughs> excuse me, were not as good. Not nearly as good. Those were pretty bad. Um, he bounced back with the Daniel Bryan match at Survivor Series. That was a good match. The Miz match was boring as all shit. Um, this was a lot better than I thought it would be, and I think a lot of it has to do with Daniel Bryan. Now, if The Fiend goes on to WrestleMania, and I hate to say this, and as a dud of a match with Roman Reigns, do not be surprised. Now, Wyatt and Roman had some good chemistry when they feuded five years ago in 2015. I thought Wyatt and Roman had some pretty solid matches. The Hell in the Cell match in particular was great. I just don't think Roman's the type of guy to get a great match out of The Fiend. 
Daniel Bryan is. He sold his ass off here. They made good use of the stipulation. They made me feel bad for Bryan afterward and being whipped so many times. The crowd was behind him. Um, I thought they did a really nice job of telling a good story here and keeping me engaged with the uh, strap match stipulation. And those strap matches are usually pretty, you know, pretty standard, ho-hum, boring, bad stuff, whatever. Every strap match is the same. But they made this thing entertaining. And I thought it helped, too, that they had the... um, the pin submission stipulation in there as opposed to the uh, the fucking turnbuckle thing, which is always dumb. So I thought this was a good match with the right result, obviously. Bray Wyatt's still the universal champion on his way to WrestleMania where he'll face Roman Reigns. Make no mistake about it. We then saw Becky Lynch successfully defend her Raw Women's Championship against the very familiar foe in Asuka. Um, another match that had great storytelling tidbits in here. I thought they did a great job of telling the story of Becky, uh, Becky fighting from underneath being the ultimate underdog, uh, kind of planting the seeds for doubt here whether Becky would retain or not. A lot of people thought Asuka might win. Um, I, I, my prediction was Becky, but I did think there was a slight chance Asuka could win, especially coming off the Charlotte Flair Royal Rumble victory and the fact that we've already seen Becky and Charlotte a million times. Now, granted, we've seen Charlotte and Asuka a bunch of times, including on Monday's Raw, but you could also tell the story there a lot like they did with Asuka and Becky that Asuka has never beaten Charlotte, but they're not doing that. Um, this was a great match, Becky going over here, definitely her best match since she had that Hell in the Cell match with Sasha three months ago um, at Hell in the Cell. Any other match she's had since then has either been like decent or just not that good. The TLC main event sucked, the Survivor Series main event sucked. This I thought was great though. We then get to the 30-man Royal Rumble match, which I'm not going to sit here and say it was the greatest Royal Rumble of all time. It was definitely no Saudi Arabia Royal Rumble, I'll, I'll tell you that much, it was much better than that. I would really have to go back and watch every other Rumble. I know 92 is up there. I don't think that one will ever be topped. It's the greatest Rumble of all time. Um, The 2018 one was awesome. I was there for that one. I'm biased, but I thought the layout of that one was great. This one had a very different but strong and compelling layout. Now, the Lesnar thing, some people may argue, went on a little longer than it should have, but they made Brock out to look like a complete beast. Person by person, just chucking people out. And honestly, it wasn't even that... I'm sorry, my chair just fucking exploded there. I did not fart, trust me. Um, But with Brock, though, I thought the way they booked him in this match was perfect. Because the more people he tossed out with ease, the more it meant when Drew McIntyre ultimately eliminated him halfway through. So McIntyre comes out to a big pop, chucks out Brock after help from Ricochet, who low-blowed him a, a bit of a receipt from the, uh, from the week before on Raw when Brock low-blowed Ricochet, which was weird at the time. And they did that to have Drew um, lay out or, you know, take out Brock courtesy of Ricochet, which was cool. I thought that the, the attention to detail in these matches I thought was really, really well done. But even before McIntyre took out Brock, which was a big holy shit moment to set up their match for WrestleMania, um, they had a lot of cool moments here. Early on, MVP came back, as I mentioned earlier, which was awesome, awesome to see MVP for the first time in 10 years. Didn't last long, but it's not like he was ruined because he was tossed out. I mean, he was going to be checked out, you know, pretty quickly anyway. John Morrison was the only person of the people they brought out, like all the losers, that I would have not done that with. I would have replaced or, you know, switched out him and Miz. Miz can take the loss. It's not that big of a deal. John Morrison just came back. I would have protected him a little bit more than they did by not having him get chucked out in 10 seconds. I thought that was kind of disappointing. Eric Rowan getting the bump pretty early. No surprise there. Elias, no surprise there. Bobby Roode, no surprise there. It was person after person after person. 10 people, 13 eliminations for Brock Lesnar. 
more than anyone else in a single Rumble match, and I'm not counting that stupid Greatest Royal Rumble bullshit, so don't even get me started on that fucking nonsense. Uh, In a normal Royal Rumble match, no one has more eliminations than Brock fucking Lesnar. Um, We also saw the stare down between Keith Lee and Brock, which was what I had been hoping for for a long time, and we got it. Now, Lee didn't eliminate Lesnar, which was no shock because he's the current NXT North American champion, but I liked how they didn't make Lee look weak. He could have very easily gone in there and had his ass kicked and just got chucked out by Brock. But Braun Strowman was the issue here. Braun, being the fucking idiot that he is, was more distracted with Lee as opposed to teaming up with Keith Lee to take out Brock Lesnar. He was more concerned with getting rid of Keith Lee. Why? I have no idea. So while they were distracted, Brock chucks them both out. Um, But Lee looked very good. He got Brock off of his feet. He got a big reaction for squaring off with Brock. Brock was a fucking, the MVP of this match. His mannerisms... I thought were on point. He was dancing MVP's theme song. You could see him mouth to the camera. Oh, big boy. After, um, you know, Keith Lee came out and he said to Paul Heyman, who's this motherfucker? Which that was hilarious. Um, yeah, the whole thing was great. So Brock gets taken out. McIntyre then takes out Ricochet in The Miz. And that's when we kind of got some filler with the OC guys. AJ Styles comes out. Um, Dolph Ziggler comes out. And then number 21 hits with the Rated R Superstar Edge, which I talked about at length earlier. What a fucking moment, man. If that, I mean, the place did have a roof, but like, if you told me the roof blew off that place, literally, I would not be surprised. Um, WrestleMania 33, and I think the pop sounded that much louder because it was inside, you know? WrestleMania 33, that pop would have come across much louder than it did on, on TV, which it was still loud as it is. For the Hardy Boys, if there was a roof on that stadium, which there wasn't, um, but the pop was still unbelievable. For Edge, it was even more so because there was a roof on that place. All the sound reverberated uh, back into the arena from when Edge's music hit and the place went fucking nuts. I was freaking out. Everyone I was watching with was freaking out. Something you're thinking to yourself, okay, you know, this may actually never happen, but it would be cool if it did, and it did. And I said this on Twitter a couple of days ago. I'm going to put this up on Facebook by the time this episode goes out. But um, I actually had the opportunity to interview Edge a couple months ago um, from the History Channel for the season finale of Vikings, which he was a part of for a few seasons. I actually interviewed him about a year and a half ago in November of 2018. I never aired the interview here on the show just because I was told not to, just because Edge had a podcast at the time. And... Um, I guess just to keep the audio exclusive to the podcast and not air it here on the show, whatever. At some point, I would absolutely put up the audio um, just because it was so fucking cool um, to be able to talk to Edge and everything else. And I couldn't air it here on WrestleRant Radio, unfortunately. I'll, I'll probably put the audio up either here on the show at some point um, or on the YouTube channel. Same thing with my interview with Christian. I actually interviewed him about a year ago, and I couldn't air the audio because he had his own podcast at the time. Now they don't run the podcast anymore. I'm sure it'd be okay. But anyway, so I got the opportunity to interview Edge again um, a few months ago. I got an email in October asking if I could interview Edge to promote the series finale of Vikings. And I said, absolutely. A couple weeks go by. We had the date set, I think, for Veterans Day, which was on a Monday. It usually is on a Monday, I think, but it was Monday the 11th. I get an email asking if I could do the 18th instead. I say, sure, no problem. That's fine. So we move the interview to the 18th. And then a couple days go by, I find out from that same person. And the, the woman I interacted with throughout this entire process was awesome. It wasn't her fault, but she had said, listen, 
uh, we're being told to, you know, keep the questions. Um, they, they initially wanted me to write for two different websites with the interview. And I said, I would have to have a lot of time with him in order to do that, which I guess the time then went from like 30 minutes to 15 minutes. And then, um, I was told I couldn't ask any wrestling questions at all, which makes no sense because I'm a wrestling writer and everything is about, you know, everything is about the WWE for the most part. When I ask it, it's about the show, but there's a lot of, you know, tie-ins with, um, with, with the show and with WWE. So I'm like, okay, whatever, but I'll still make, I'll, I'll still find a way to make it work. And then I was told soon after that, like the next day, I got a phone call saying that the interview was off altogether, which was a shame. Um, and it had nothing to do with me. It had nothing to do with whatever. All interviews promoting the show with Edge were off. And I thought that was really strange. And this was coming off of the rumors about a month earlier that Edge was cleared to compete. He was coming back. And those rumors, although he denied them on Twitter, he, he denied it pretty vehemently on Twitter, it was hard to buy into it because there were so many signs pointing to Edge coming back that it was hard to believe that he wasn't coming back. And then I would see that he left his podcast or that he stopped doing interviews for the show that I was going to promote with him, uh, Vikings, and all this other stuff that he was seen backstage at the shows and then he'd signed a contract and he had seen uh, that Dr. Maroon guy would to get cleared in Pittsburgh. It was a very weird thing and I'm thinking to myself, okay, he's definitely, there's definitely something going on here. And ultimately, he came back in the Royal Rumble, so now everything makes sense. So at least I had the the chance to interview him once a year and a half ago when I had the chance. And again, that audio will be up at some point on the YouTube channel. Um, But yeah, um, just really, really cool just to see Edge back. And I talked about it earlier, how much it means to me. I remember watching the 2010 Royal Rumble when he came back and just freaking the fuck out because I didn't know he was coming back and I had no inkling of any idea that he was returning. On this show, we kind of did a little bit didn't believe it until we saw it. 2010, I had no idea. And then he won the whole thing. I was so happy to hear that and so happy to see it, watch it live, my first pay-per-view I ever ordered. So cool. Um, Anyway, so we had that, and then uh, Edge comes back, interacts with everybody, Roman Reigns, AJ Styles, Drew McIntyre, Spears, everybody. The, The camera cuts were fucking atrocious, and that's Kevin Dunn's fault. Fire the guy. That was bad. The rest of the match was great. We had all the other star power come out. I mean, they, they usually save the star power for the end, which is a little too coincidental. But we had Aleister Black come out, Kevin Owens, Samoa Joe, all got bumped by Rollins and um, AOP and Murphy. AOP and Murphy weren't in the match, but they were ringside with Rollins. And they helped him eliminate all those guys I just mentioned, which I thought was great to further those feuds because Murphy has history with Black. And then, um, what was I going to say? Oh, Owens and Joe have obviously been feuding with Rollins and AOP for weeks now, so it made perfect sense. But um, yeah, no, I thought the Rumble match layout was great. And uh, then ultimately came down to Edge, Orton, Roman, and McIntyre. Edge eliminates Orton, which was surprising, and that planted the seeds for that great angle they did on Raw. I am all for Edge and Orton at WrestleMania, by the way. I'm all for it. I think it's a great idea. They have history. They had the chance to feed back in 2007, 2010. And it never really hit its peak. In 07, they broke up before they could really feud. Edge went to SmackDown. And then in 2010, um, Orton got hurt. So their match at the Over the Limit 2010 pay-per-view was interrupted. They never really had a... I think they had a rematch on Raw. But other than that, they never really had that feud that we all knew they could have back at that point. So anyway, um, I'm all for Orton and Edge at WrestleMania. It's a nice, safe opponent for Edge in his first match back 
Orton is so great as a heel. They needed to turn him heel. They needed more heels on Raw after turning McIntyre babyface. And we now know it's going to be McIntyre and Lesnar, spoiler alert, at WrestleMania for the Universe, or rather for the WWE Championship following McIntyre's win here, which was so cool to see. I never actually thought they would pull the, uh, pull the trigger on McIntyre, but they did on this show. Very happy to see that. But back to Edge and Orton. Uh, McIntyre winning was awesome. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to understate that at all. And I'm, I'm very much looking forward to McIntyre and Lesnar. But I just can't get over that Edge is back, and we're seeing him at WrestleMania facing probably Randy Orton. Now, I would not blow this off of the Saudi Arabia, uh, the, the Super Showdown in Saudi Arabia pay-per-view. Fuck that. Um, hopefully, they can hold off till WrestleMania. Edge is off TV for a couple weeks. They can sell the attack. And hopefully, leading into WrestleMania, we'll see appearances. We'll see appearances from Beth Phoenix, Edge's wife, his best friend Christian, who we haven't seen on WWE TV in a few years. Um, he hasn't wrestled in over six years, about j- just about six years, but um, it'd be cool to see him cleared again, get one more match with Randy Orton, given their history, maybe at the Super Showdown show. Hey, why the fuck not, you know? But um, yeah, I'm all for this feud. I think it's going to be awesome. Edge is great as a babyface. He looks super emotional coming out. He looks super emotional on Raw, cutting uh, a better heartfelt promo than almost anyone else in the roster. Orton was his usual slimy self, turning on Edge. The Concerto was a great touch. That was their tag team finisher back in the day. We got that mini rated RKO reunion in the Rumble match on Sunday. So it would have been cool if they dragged this out a little longer and had them team it like in the Saudi Arabia show or whatever. But clearly Edge is not coming back for any more matches, I would assume, until WrestleMania. Now, if they have him wrestle in Saudi Arabia against Orton, then fuck that. But I think they're not going to do that and they're just going to save this for WrestleMania. So it was smart... When all people are paying attention to the product coming off of Edge's return, um, that uh, you know they would do that angle when they did. I thought it was a great angle to close the show, a great rumble, a very good episode of Raw. Um, I don't really have time to review it, but I thought the ending angle was awesome. I thought you know the, some of the stuff in the third hour was kind of poopy um, in terms of um, you know like the twenty four seven title stuff, the Rowan squash, living more, Liv Morgan versus Lana was all shitty. But Charlotte and Asuka was great. I do assume they're building the Charlotte and Rhea Ripley. Carrillo versus Andrade was, again, good. Um, wasn't a fan of the non-finish, but they're clearly um, setting up something between them for when Andrade gets back from suspension. The tag team title match was good. The issue is that Samoa Joe might be legit hurt again. Same thing, uh, same thing with AJ Styles, so hopefully they're good to go soon enough. Um, Alistair Black teasing. He has his sights set on someone on the roster. was a nice little hook there. Uh, great to see MVP back versus Rey Mysterio in the first match of the show. Not a great match, but the guy's 46 now. But it was cool to see him nonetheless. The only thing that would have made it better was if they had the tunnel entrance, but whatever. Um, still cool nonetheless. And uh, McIntyre squashing the OC in the opening match on the show. So overall, a very good episode of Raw to close out a great Royal Rumble weekend between NWA Hard Times, Worlds Collide, the NEW show that it was at on Saturday night, the Royal Rumble, and now Raw. And again, I did not record this um, after Dynamite in, in NXT from Wednesday. I'm actually recording it before those two shows have aired. So we'll get back to my NXT and Dynamite reviews, hopefully, next Wednesday right here on the show. And we have a lot to look forward to in the month of uh, February, the same way that we, did, that we did January. I expected January to be a busy month, and it absolutely was in a good way. But I'm, I'm excited to kind of lay back and... Uh, catch up in the month of February, which is the shortest month of the year, of course. But we do have that super showdown show in Saudi Arabia, for better or for worse. In late February, we have TakeOver Portland coming up in a couple weeks from NXT. So again, a lot to look forward to. And uh, I'm very excited for the road to WrestleMania and beyond, especially when it comes to all the other promotions right now. And NWA, Ring of Honor is making moves. Impact is doing their thing right now. 
Uh, it's a good time to be a wrestling fan. So with that being said, guys, thank you as always for checking out WrestleRant Radio. Super appreciate it. Be sure to find us on all the podcast platforms. Subscribe on anyone that is uh, available to you, including NextDayWrestling.net, iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio. We're all over the place. So subscribe today. Never miss an episode. As for me, you can find me on the socials, folks, on Twitter at WrestleRant, on Facebook at Facebook.com, backslash grand.gsm.matthews, and also on YouTube, we're quickly approaching that 4,000 subscriber mark, so help me get there by subscribing today at youtube.com backslash c backslash Matthews. So until next time, guys, have a great rest of your week. Very excited to break down all the latest in the world of wrestling next Thursday right here on WrestleRant Radio. For those wondering, will I be watching the Super Bowl on Sunday? The answer is probably yes. Uh, there's a very good chance I'll be watching the game on Sunday. Who do I have, if you care? Flip of the coin, it doesn't really matter to me. I'll say Chiefs, just because it sounds like a great football team name. Hey, what's up, Chief? I I call people Chief all the time. So you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go with the Chiefs. Anyway, guys, have a great rest of your week. Like I said, I'm Graham Giusin Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. (laughs) 